Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Listen to, listen to these words from the book that we love. 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. It says, live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for all the promises that are there for us to hope in, um, to see fulfilled time and time again. Um, the stories of your people um, that you pull out of bondage, often self-inflicted, um, pull out of a bondage in times that it's not. Um, Lord, thank you for the freedom uh, that you lead us into. Lord, I pray this morning, um, as we listen to your word preached, that we would see ourselves there, that we'd understand who you've called us to be, that we would live lives reflecting of that call. Lord, then we'd understand why it's worth it. Uh, so just speak to us this morning and in this time. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, so first, thank you so much for having me uh, back. I was here about a year ago last May. So this is my second time here, and I realized uh, that you guys don't really know me all that well and vice versa. And so I thought uh, just what I would do is start by giving you a quick introduction to who I am, how I got here, at least as far as it relates to my uh, professional life, if we can call it that. I won't make you guys go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, but before at Liberty, I was a pastor for about 10 years at a church in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. I started there in uh, youth ministry. Fast forward 10 years, by the end of my time there, I was the executive pastor, kind of seeing, uh, overseeing a lot of the nuts and bolts. And so in my time there, I trained up others to take over that youth ministry. Uh, I raised up leaders uh, to take over for the praise band. I did all the admin and office things with the facilities. Um, I did kind of all the, all the things. And, and it was a great experience, and it was a good church home, and it remained such even as I learned that I had this desire to really implement all of those things in a new context and with a vision of my own. And so my wife and I, we prayed over that idea of church planning for a few years uh, before we got connected with the Liberty Communion. And man, it's been exactly what we needed. Liberty has been exactly the home that we were looking and praying for. And so for, for the past two years, I did my church planning residency at Northeast, and it's been so helpful for me as I was able to step back in many ways so that I could evaluate and then step back in, and, and I got to explore bivocational ministry. So I actually started just before I left my previous church, a small construction company, and, and that allows me to just be in the world and interact with people and ultimately be where a lot of you are when you're not here and man, that's just been 
just really fruitful, and I'm thankful for that opportunity and the ability to do so, and it's amazing how much ministry actually happens on a job site with guys that you would never expect, the conversations that you have when they're swinging a hammer. Um, It's just uh, been amazing. But like most of you working outside of a Christian context, man, you really get to feel what people outside of the church care about and what they value and where they place um, their identities and their hopes and their anxieties. And, and you also get a feel for just how much division and conflict there is right now, um, even in one local area when it comes to different ethics and cultural backgrounds and political views. And, and so at least for me, what I've ob- observed on these job sites that I'm on is that there's certainly uh, often a political leaning that exists there. And not only is there a lot of animosity towards the other side, but there's also a great deal of misunderstanding. And so depending on where you work, I I could assume probably the same is true for many fields. And honestly, that's kind of expected. I expect to see that there. It doesn't surprise me, but what does catch me off guard is when I take off my tool belt and I enter into a church context, and if I hang out long enough, I often can notice many of those same behaviors or those same leanings and and regardless of what side of an issue it may be I hear and I see allegiances to things outside of the kingdom of God that affect his family and they begin to change the dynamics and so just to be clear I'm not here to criticize any of you in fact from what I hear a lot of you are the kinds of people I want to praise for your commitment to God's values and and to unity amongst his people And so I think and I hope that that is many of us here this morning. But nonetheless, given all of these voices in our world today, all competing for our allegiances to their agendas, I think it's valuable for all of us to take time to remind ourselves of who we are and who we're called to be, how we're called to live, but also encourage you this morning with why it's worth it. And so this morning, I'm going to fly over the letter of 1 Peter. We're going to do one book in one Sunday, much like you've been with Genesis, right? I learned today, you guys are in like year three almost, September 2021, that series started. So Jim, I hope he's not holding you hostage there. I hear you get breaks. That's good. There are other books. Today, we're going to be solely in 1 Peter. We're going to get through this together. And we're going to be in 1 Peter because I think it's extremely relevant to us in our context where we can increasingly feel like strangers in our own hometowns and where many different voices are calling for our allegiances and claiming to be the source of our true identities. And so for context, Peter writes this letter from Jerusalem with the purpose of having it travel all around this large dispersed group of Gentile believers living in Asia Minor who are currently under Roman occupation and they're facing increased pressure from their neighbors. So these are people increasingly feeling like strangers in their own hometowns and who are facing immense backlash and persecution for not fitting into the values of the day, for having different allegiances than those that they were expected to have. And so what Peter does in this letter is he reminds his readers who they are as God's elect exiles. And he begins to build this identity for them, tying it back to God's people of the past. But then he reminds them of how they were called to live and directs their focus to see that their calling is the same as it's always been. And Peter tells them that their calling will have trials. Exile is challenging. 
And so he simultaneously reminds them of who they are and challenges them with how they're called to live, but he also encourages them with why this life of an exile is not only worth living, but potentially even laying down. And so with all that said, I'm going to start us off this morning looking briefly at his introduction and its really beautiful use of language that connects us back to our brothers and sisters from another time of bondage and exile so that we can see ourselves there and see who we are and who we're called to be. So open with me, beginning in verse 1. He writes, So those who are elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So right here in the first uh, two verses, we see who he's writing to. It's these elect exiles. God has them there for a reason. They are chosen, but also Peter gives us the intentions for his letter, for obedience to Jesus Christ, such that grace and peace would be multiplied to them and others. And from here in the letter, he begins to flesh out this identity of who they are. For those called to exile, they're born into a new family, into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. And there are people with an inheritance that's imperishable and unfading, kept for them in heaven, their true home. And even though they may suffer for a while here, they are a people who have what the prophets prophesied and preachers speak of and angels long to look. And this is who we are, according to verse 1 through 12. We are elect exiles, children of God, with an inheritance in his kingdom forever. But this identity, it comes with a responsibility not just to be God's people, but to live like God's people. And so, so Peter, in verse 13, tells his readers to prepare their minds for action to prepare their minds for this new way of living and to set their hope fully on the grace that only Christ can deliver. And from this verse on and throughout the rest of this letter, Peter tests our knowledge of Scripture by using sometimes subtle, sometimes obvious references back to Israel's time as slaves coming out of bondage and into exile into this in-between, coming from what was, moving towards what will be. And so today I'm just going to point out one of these examples, one of these references, because I think it's really amazing and significant how and why Peter does this. So in verse 13 of 1 Peter, the phrase, preparing your mind for action, it's translated this way because it's literal translation, to gird up your loins probably doesn't mean much to you and I. It kind of sounds gross, but listen, it's not. What it means to gird up your loins is to take the excess fabric of your tunic or your robe and to tie it up or tuck it into your belt. It's to remove the obstacles in your way. It's to get rid of the tripping hazard so that you can move quickly. It's the equivalent today of rolling up your sleeves so that you can get to work. It's making sure your shoes are tied before you run the race. And so if this phrase to gird up your loins sounds familiar to you, it's because you've seen it before, and you've seen it specifically in the Exodus story, when God gave the instructions to Israel during the last plagues, when he gave them the Passover lamb 
and instructed them with how to receive the sacrifice and how to receive it or to eat it. And he told them to gird up their loins before they eat so that they would be ready to go when God called them to action to lead them out of their bondage and into freedom. And so Peter in the remainder of chapter one tells them to be like these people and to be obedient children who listen to their father not to be conformed to the passions of their former selves, but to be holy like their father is holy. And in verse 17, he tells them that in their exile to conduct themselves with fear, knowing that they were saved from bondage, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but through the precious blood of Christ, their Passover lamb. And so this morning, as Peter reminds you of who you are as these elect exiles and part of God's family, what distractions or obstacles? What former passions do you need to gird up, get out of the way so that you can prepare yourselves to walk with God out of the bondage of your past life and into the freedom that only Christ can make available to you? As we enter into chapter two, Peter gives us a few suggestions of what some of those obstacles could be. And so he says in chapter 2, verse 1, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So listen, some of us are holding on to values and bitterness that belong to a different family. Some of us have areas of life that we keep secret because we know if it comes to light, we'll be called out. Some of us are living in hypocrisy and taking part in slander. Some of us are struggling to let go of old allegiances. And some of us picked up really unhealthy ones over the last few years. And so probably all of us have ways in which we need to grow up in our salvation and let go of the things that are hindering our call to holiness. What are those things for you? Will we be sober in our minds this morning? Will we gird up the loins of our minds and get rid of the things keeping us from being the people God's called us to be? This is Peter's plea in verse 9 through 12 as he once more reminds us of who we are. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of invitation, of visitation. When, when Peter looks at the church, he sees this people outside of their true homes. He sees exiles, some still living under the rule of old masters and others leaving bondage but not yet knowing how to live in the realities of this new freedom. And here's where I believe we can find ourselves today. And, and so many of us, whether we grew up in the church or not, are struggling to find the right answers to how to live as the people which Peter is describing. 
And, and so many a debate is being had right now on culturally relevant and controversial matters, topics like sexuality and gender, free speech, gun control, race, political leanings, the list goes on, and many of these are important topics. Many of these need to be discussed and debated, but what cannot happen for the people of God is to allow these missions and their agendas to take precedence over his. And so for us, this is not a time which we can afford to place our allegiances in anything other than Christ, because if we do, we will divide his family. We cannot be proclaiming the excellencies of his kingdom if we're too busy fighting for the values of another. And so uh, this week, I was on my lunch break, and I was just scrolling online, and I heard this clip from a different sermon, and it, it stuck with me, and I thought it was really well said. And so this pastor in this video, he says this. He says, if you're to be for the good works of King Jesus, it means that if you have um, an adjective, sorry, he says, if, if you are to be for the good works of King Jesus, it means there can be no adjective before Christian in your life. Because the adjective informs the noun. Which means that if you are a conservative Christian, a liberal Christian, a progressive Christian, a white, a black, a gay, a straight, whatever it means, it means you are primarily for another agenda because your highest allegiance is actually to that other thing. And so I think this is absolutely correct, and more I think it's absolutely happening for many believers today. And it's not new, but it is destructive. It's Israel pining after other gods. It's Israel wanting to be like other nations. It's placing our identity anywhere other than in our position and calling as a part of God's family. And anytime we do that, it's idolatry. And so we need to hear that this morning. If we are Christ's followers, if we are his people, we cannot put any identity before that one. So all other nouns that we use to describe ourselves must be placed under and subject to the first so if we are the exiles and the priesthood and the children and the possession that God says we are, we must start by seeing ourselves as these things first, or no one else will. And to be seen as God's exiles and his people and his family and his, his priesthood, we must live lives that reflect these titles. And so look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 through 17 how should god's exiles live we should live as people who are free not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of god so honor everyone love the brotherhood fear god honor the emperor honor everyone love the brotherhood Fear God, honor the emperor. No two verses summarize the challenge of Peter's letter better than these. If you walk away this morning remembering anything from our time, consider this passage. Ponder it in your heart. Wrestle with it. Measure yourself against it. Is this us? Is this you? And what would it look like if it were?
During the pandemic, with the shutdowns and the mandates under our previous administration, was this you? Now, under our current leadership, is this us? Peter tells us plainly, to this we have been called, verse 21. And he tells us to be subject to our earthly masters, even the unjust. And then he points us to Jesus who gives us this example of a life of honor and love and fear. When reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Peter, after giving us this call to use our freedom to live as servants, tells us that it it will mean suffering unjustly. But he reminds us that this is the life that Christ modeled and sacrificed for us. And the way that we will endure this suffering is through a commitment with our family to this, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. A commitment to unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart with a humble mind, without repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, to bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing." So how are we to live as God's exiles? It's to be people of honor and love and godly fear who strive for unity in a landscape of conflict and for sympathy with a tender heart in a world of anger and division. Our mission as God's people is to seek to bless because we've been blessed. And so here's a question I think every church community needs to start asking themselves right now. And so I'll ask it this morning specifically for you. Is Collingswood a closer representation of heaven because liberty is here? Put differently, is Collingswood blessed by your presence? Does the community here know that you exist? And would they describe you as a strange bunch of people who honor everyone they meet and who love one another in radical ways different than the world around you? Are you known by your fear of God and for the ways you show honor to the leaders that God's put above you, both inside and outside the church, locally or more broadly? Right now, are these, the quest- these are the questions I think we should be asking. And as I, I seek to plant a church, these are the questions I'm asking in Bristol. We're beginning this, the work there um, to, to plant this new embodiment of God's people. And, and so one way I'm trying to live this out is that I, along with another local pastor there, we've reformed the local ministerium, an assembly of um, leaders in the area. And so for the past year or so, we've gathered monthly with these leaders in the borough, and we come to e- together across denominational lines, and we're asking this question, is Bristol better because the church is here? Does the church actually have a presence here, and how can we be a blessing to this community? And so through those efforts, one way we sought to express this was by sending out teams of people on MLK Day with door tags that we placed on every door in Bristol. That morning, 14 teams and thousands of door tags went out into our neighborhood, inviting our neighbors to join us for a borough-wide food drive. And so then on Super Bowl Sunday, we came back and we collected from each home the food that these people had donated and packed up, and we filled the food pantries that exist there in the borough. And so because the church came together that day, people were fed. 
and a community, even if it was for one day, did something amazing together. And what's really cool is that since that event, when I tell people there that I was involved, it immediately changes the disposition of the people that I speak to there in Bristol Borough. Because of those door tags, I made friends with a local leader who now uh, introduces me to others in positions of influence. And why? Because we honored the people there. Because the church came in as servants to a community without asking for anything in return. And so if we join Christ in his prayer for here to be as it is in heaven, we must not only pray for that to happen, but we must gird up and take action to make wherever we are a closer picture of heaven on earth. And by we, I do mean you, and I do mean us. And so I know that door tags are a simple way, uh, and that story had a happy ending, and I know that it doesn't always go that way. I know that sometimes we will serve and we will suffer, that's the warning that Christ made clear. But nevertheless, he calls for us to be a people who seek to bless. And so let me first commend you all for all the ways that you've been faithfully pursuing that mission here. And so I invite you even today, log on to your website here and you can see the list of ways that Liberty Collingswood has served the people here and, and the activities that you've supported and established for your neighborhood. But I also encourage you to look there to see how each of you can make better these chances to be the very presence of Jesus in your neighborhood. Because the call we're given as God's elect and exiles is to be a, a people who seek to bless and who show honor and care. It's not enough to gather here on Sunday. That isn't the only part of what it means to be God's family. In fact, the whole purpose of exile is to leave home and to live in and amongst strangers and then to show them hospitality, the hospitality of God. That word means the love of stranger or the love of neighbor. And so the goal of all of that is to invite strangers to come into the family and to taste and see that he is good. This is the call. It's why repeatedly Peter tells us how to conduct ourselves among the Gentiles. It's because he expects us to be where they are. And, and, and so in chapter 4, Peter, Peter will tell us that another part of our calling as exiles is to be stewards of God's grace. And he says in chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who seeks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So Peter says again, be self-controlled and sober-minded. He's warning us again and again not to be distracted by these competing voices so easily capturing our attention and our allegiances, but instead to strive to love because it covers a multitude of sins. And to seek to serve and to bless because it leads to blessing. And so this is Peter's letter. He writes to a people under duress with many pressures competing for their allegiances and putting their faith on trial. 
And to these people, he reminds them of the family legacy that they're now a part of. They are the new exiles, living in a land that's not their true home or kingdom. And Peter time and time again reminds them that being a part of this family means living a certain way. And he lays out for them their calling that it is, and he challenges them and reminds them that challenges will come. Showing honor and submission, especially to the unjust, does not come natural. But God has often called his people to patiently and with perseverance wait and hope and to do so, ready to move at any time because he always sends a redeemer. God always comes for his people and he always frees them from bondage. We today are the newest addition to this long line of exiles. And and the calling on our lives is the same as it's always been. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The calling to live like Christ is always to be willing to die like Christ. To die to ourselves and to live as he lived. To give up our desires and passions. And to pledge our allegiances to fulfilling his To this we have been called. And so with our last remaining moments, I just want to remind us of why this kind of life is worth it. Why is sacrificing our causes and passions worth sacrifice? Why is letting go of our comforts and preferences something worth the loss? Why should we rejoice in our suffering? None of that sounds appealing to me. It's worth it because a price was paid for our allegiance. We were bought for an expensive price, the blood of Christ. We are no longer our own. And as uncomfortable as being bought may sound, it's good news when our new master does not see us as slaves, but as brothers and sisters, as friends and children whom he loves. He bought us to free us, which is why we are called to use that freedom to honor and to bless. And more, Peter encourages us that although although suffering is something we will face now, although it may be severe at times, it's short in comparison to the eternal glory found only in Christ, which chapter 510 will restore all that was lost and confirm any of our doubts and strengthen any who feel weak and will establish us in his kingdom family for all eternity. The life of an exile is worth the journey because of the destination and the one who leads us there. You know, from the, the time leaving the garden up until Christ's return, God's people have always been exiles. And throughout this letter, Peter uses language pointing readers back to the stories of Abraham and of Israel waiting for their true home. And in his final greeting, Peter drives this point home by calling Rome Babylon. And his point adapted for us today is that America is not our true home. It's our Babylon. It's the place of our exile. And so Babylon is not a good home. And it's not a land of the free. For those who don't know Christ, it's the place of their bondage. It's their Egypt. It's not where God wants us to place our allegiances. It's where he wants us to be investing our our mission. 
with a hope in Christ, we serve and we honor where we live now, not because it's the home that we love, but because we love the home that we're there to represent. This is where God's called us to be his exiles. This is where he's called us to be his priesthood, serving those in captivity as Christ's children and ambassadors proclaiming the good news of a coming kingdom and a returning king who will come to reclaim what was lost and bring with him salvation. We are God's elect exiles, born again into this living hope that transcends the agendas of our day. We are people with a calling to use the freedom Christ has bought by living like Christ, radically pursuing the mission of heaven on earth, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, and even honoring the emperor. And it's worth it for the blessings that he will bring through our suffering and the eternal blessings that will come through his faithfulness to his promises to us. This is who we are and who we're called to be according to Peter and according to the Lord Jesus, the only one who's worthy and owed our allegiances. Let's be a church and a people who believe this is true with unity of mind, brotherly love towards one another, tender hearts, and humble minds. To this we have been called. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, even when it's challenging. Lord, thank you for letters like these that were written to strangers. Lord, that Peter wrote to these family members he did not know by name, but he encouraged them and invites them to be a part of this long-lasting family line. Lord, that we enter into by faith in you and your promises because you've been faithful in fulfilling those for us. Lord, as a people, you promised us that you would free us from bondage, which you have. Uh, Lord, and we wander now. And in our wandering, it's so easy to be distracted or dismayed. But Lord, we thank you that, that you've given us your word. You've given us testimony time and time again of your faithfulness, that we can continue to move forward towards the kingdom and the land that you've promised to us. Lord, let us be a people worthy of the title of exile and priesthood and nation and possession for you. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.